welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the ITSM community, episode 21. 21. Troy, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Chris. How are you today? Good. Uh, we'd like to give a shout out to Carrie King, who sent us some uh, fan, fan, I wouldn't say fan, but some listener feedback. Uh, so big thank you to Carrie. We love getting listener feedback, uh, getting a lot of it lately on all the different things we do. But Yeah, I noticed that. And uh, Carrie, those quotes were awesome on leadership and change. I've added a few to my collection. Yes, uh, Carrie is uh, quite a remarkable individual. So moving on, uh, we've got, that's this, before we get right into this topic, let's talk a little bit about the elephant in the room. Uh, I think in less, <laughs> in less than a month, we've got the big show. We do. Uh, pretty much it's all hands on deck here at Pink, and you know, pretty much all of our focus is on that show right now. Getting ready for it and, and doing this is the biggest thing we do all year long. So I'm seeing a lot of activity on Twitter. Who's going? Meet me here. Meet me there. Meet me there. Last year, you guys, and I was lucky enough to be part of that team last year, uh, broke just amazing ground well, with that video. That thing probably has 30,000 views on it by now. Uh, you always do something amazing. and you, you couldn't give us a glimpse. Could you just a glimpse? You know, I actually, I don't even know because David and George keep that stuff so close to their chest. And uh, it's kind of fun too because we don't know what's going to happen ourselves until we actually get there that day. All right. It's kind of a state secret internally as well. No, I, I know. And, and Pinky's a state secret, but... Pinky's out now for uh, the the Pinky for this year, right? He's a Sinatra. Pruner Pinky. I love him. Yeah. You know, I noticed a few days ago, Pinky evolved to standing up positions. You know, Pinky on the surfboard, Pinky in the hula dress, and now we get Cruder Pinky. Yeah, I, there's a lot to be said about uh, Pinky evolving. Yeah, I, uh, I'm very excited to get my hands on Cruder Pinky. I, um, I'm a Pinky collector, a closet collector of Pinkies. I mean, <laughs> I actually run a black market on eBay for Pinkies, but I won't tell anyone. Culture. 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 It all comes down to people, doesn't it? Yeah. This is the podcast we, we just, no one wants to have. You know, people, they're, they're, they're challenging. They're, they're, you know, I'd rather deal with the tangible, the easy to understand software, even though that can be challenging. It's certainly nowhere near as complex as people. And it all comes down to it. I, we've talked about this many times. It's really, the fact is that ITSM is really about a people change project and the process and tools are enablers, but they're not the goal themselves. We, you know, we've had that several co- times, that conversation. Yeah, a people people change project. That's, you know, we should say that over and over and over again. And uh, just how do you go about changing people without them resenting you for it? And, uh, you know, actually, one of the things Carrie sent along was an article that I think we need to link to. It's um, an HBR article called Fair Process. And it struck me that that's basically the, t- the, the concept we're going to talk about today. How do you involve people in change? They don't resent it. And, you know, it's not kind of like you're going to do it because I told you to. As uh, you know, our parents are fond of saying. Right. So, and there's a lot of that because I told you to. And then sometimes people refer to that dance of people and change as politics. And that always kind of, I don't know, it, it annoys me a little bit because I'm not sure if it's actually politics, but maybe we need a word to describe that that function. But Well, be dealing with the human condition, dealing with the human frame of reference you're in is a bit like politics. In fact, one of the sessions I'm doing at the conference is about f- culture and five tips for an embedding behavioral change. And we talk about politics as one of, well, politics as part of one of the frameworks of change management. 
I think it's Dylan Bullman, I believe it, I referenced, and it's and he, in Dylan Bullman they have this structural change organizational model where the political model is one of the things you have to be aware of and be careful of mm-hmm. and deal with actually because you're dealing in the context of people and there's always politics. Why is it that I, as a IT person, uh, a knowledge worker in 2012, have a real hard time in our industry specifically, so I'm narrowing and framing this question perfectly, have a hard time finding good information until I saw a preview of your presentation that you're going to do, and I highly recommend it if you're going to Pink 12, check out um, this five tips for cementing organizational change. Why does I have a hard time finding information about culture? Is it something people are afraid? I don't know. Why is it? Why Why can't I? I mean, I've got Paul Wilkinson. I can read stuff there, but I can't find any solid information. Am I looking in the wrong places? I think you need to widen your scope of search just to general business, general mm, okay. people, general leadership. You know, it in an IT context, there might be a few references, you know, from the point of view of IT culture. But the reality is people are people and we're just dealing with change. In fact, a lot of the change that we're dealing with just organizational silos and process that cross and span enterprise structures, the business had to deal with in the 80s. Michael Hammer, James Champy, these are people who wrote on the cultural challenge of the, the business transformation that was going through the manufacturing industry specifically. In fact, I reference a lot of their materials uh, when I speak in calling culture in general. But you might find it in our specific industry, but it's out there in spades in general leadership material. Yeah. I have such a hard time even talking about culture because I think maybe I represent maybe some people in the audience who, how do you really talk about the human condition and culture without making it, without outing yourself as being, feeling different? You know, am I the only person that have ever felt scared when I heard this? You know, am I the only person that... You know, we always like, I mean, the one thing I've heard pervasively is no one likes change. Okay, I've heard that enough now. I mean. Okay, well, I think we need to go back a bit and just kind of unpack a few concepts here. Yeah. So first of all, culture and change and behavior, they're not synonymous, right? So culture is is vague. That's very vague. And, it, and it, it's, really, it's multi-layered, multifaceted. In fact, you can think of culture as part human nature, mm. you know, we're programmed for survival. So we have instinctive actions based on making sure our families are cared for and we have food on the table. Yep. Um, there's cultural uh, in the sense of the reference model we're in, the group, the tribe, the nation, the the premise that we're, we're part of. Yep. There's, so there's group think, right? Yeah, we've done that on a couple shows. There's culture, which is referred to as tone at the top in a lot of... Uh, the culture of the group will be reflective of the group's leader. So whatever that mindset at the top of the heap is, and it's flowing down, baby, right? Mm-hmm. The culture will be majorly colored uh, by the leadership. In fact, it will change if you have drastic leadership. I'll give you two case studies as an example. And then there's the individual personality. I have three sons, and I can tell you right now, those three boys are completely different, even though they've been raised in the same environment. And so there's individual personality. So take all of those things together, and you've got this mix, mash, that represents culture. Uh, and culture has to be thought of corporately, the, you know, the enterprise concept. It has to be thought of as the gr- small group you're part of, the family unit, department. And then it has to be considered at the individual level. So it's complex. Uh, but understanding the cultural model you're in is key to understanding how to deal in relationship with the people. Because if you apply the wrong approach to the wrong person, you can either be wildly success- successful or truly really piss them off. <laughs> because one size does not fit all here. 
when dealing with people. No, because one person, one person might work well under being supervised by manager X, but not work well being managed under supervisor Y. I mean, is that possible? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And one approach to management of change, which is, you know, the careful things that you do to affect behavior, which eventually will hopefully impact culture, uh, will work really well within one group and then ultimately fail in the group living in the you know cube space next door. And could that could that fail because of groupthink? Some of that tribal stuff you talked about? Exactly right. And because they just have a different frame of reference of what their culture is. I mean, I think we all would agree that in general, there's a very different culture in pre-production development groups than there is in production groups. Mm-hmm. And we see how, you know, the tension exists between that those two groups and the whole DevOps and you know, value chain concept comes into play. Interesting. So I like the way you, you, you explained it in terms of the individuality of, of in, in this case, you used your children as a reference. Uh, the top down, you earlier mentioned, you know, maybe I should be reading more on leadership. <laughs> Probably I should. Um, uh, and, and then the tribal nature and then those three things all mixing. And, you know, you, we, you did organizational uh, workflow. I can't, that's not the name for it. Uh, two shows ago. We had this great graphic where you kind of took a high view of the operating uh, model. Operating model, correct. Yeah. There almost seems to be like a third dimension to the operating model when you start to talk about these types of things. Well, knowing who the players are and what you know how to play the game is key here. Mm. Uh, I mentioned Dylan Bowman. I think we would be really good to go through his model, their model, because I think it really gives us a sense of reality of how culture can change in different audiences. So let's do that, and I'll put a link yeah. uh, to that in the show notes. Let's go ahead and start with that. So Dylan Bowman came up with a model of four different cultural frame of references, and they are, I'm going to be using, you know, this is from memory, so I'm not going to get it exactly right. One is called the military structure. So in a military culture slash structure, you have a very strict chain of command, we have uh, a flow of ideas and approvals coming top down, and if you want to do anything in a military culture, then you got to. And you're coming from middle in or bottom up. You have to sell up the chain of command. Oh, God forbid you skip somebody because that's you know career suicide. So you have to kind of go one, two, you know, up the chain of command to the very top, and then if you're successful, then it kind of you know flows down from there. Uh, so this is a military type culture and very much based on logic, very much based on understanding, um, you know, the best interest of the enterprise group, right? So yep. national culture, we talked about that in a few shows ago, is the best interest here. Yeah, we did. That's military. Then we have the political jungle. And the political jungle is an organizational culture where the hierarchy or the the job title is not the most important thing because there are many people in this organization with real power that have titles that may not be VP or director, right? They have small groups that they've surrounded themselves with. And, uh, you know, it's, it's basically this team against this team. And in a political culture, titles actually are fairly meaningless. You'll see everyone has the title of a VP because it's kind of like emotional currency being tossed out there. Everyone's VP of something. The director of this, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's funny. They actually, the yeah. English folks make fun of uh, Americans because of that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like emotional compensation. And since title doesn't really mean anything in a political culture anyway, why not give them out? So it's kind of coalitions, right? So before you do anything in this environment, you're going to have to uh, find out who the players are. 
who are the power brokers, the real ones, not just the ones with titles. And then you've got to do a lot of pre-sale before you ever, ever launch this publicly. You're going to have to basically go out and sh- shop and get these coalitions on your side. <laughs> and then, you know, when you feel like you've got enough momentum behind you on your side of the fence versus the other side, then you can kind of go public with this. And in a, in a political culture, logic isn't very much or isn't the driving force for decision-making. It's on what is the political implications individually for individuals by taking one side or the other or joining one coalition or the other. Uh, so I often kind of joke when someone asks you to do you know, an ROI an assessment in a, in a, in a military-type culture, they really want to know. They really want to know what the, uh, the benefits and cost uh, aspects are. But when you are asked to do an ROI assessment in a political jungle culture. They're just giving you a make busy project. They have no no concern. They really just want you to go away because it's not about logic in that culture. Then the third one is, uh, I believe it's called the HR culture. And in this culture, it's all about the people. So anything that is being conceived of as a change must be thought of, okay, what is the impact on the individual work-life balance? And what will that do for our union agreements, for example? So all change has to be filtered through this concept. And if you, you know, want to do anything, you have to go through this consensus building activity. Everything's by consensus. For example, you certainly don't want to threaten, if you don't follow this, you're going to be fired because in an HR culture, you'll find yourself being fired. Whereas in a military culture, hierarchical, that will work very well. Uh, so that's the four, third. And then the fourth is symbolic. The symbolic culture they refer to is the organization, organization is so focused on the value system of a very strong founder that everything is focused on what would the founder have done in this way or in this concept. For example, you know, Wendy's with Dave, right? So in Dave's culture, you know, if you wanted to do IT service management in Wendy's, you'd have to express the reason for doing so because Dave would have wanted it this way. Right. But it has to all go back to the symbolic. And what Dylan Bullman say is basically Every group that you're going to deal with will have a primary and a secondary in context of these four models. Based on which you're dealing with and what you're talking about, you have to apply very different approaches, right? I've kind of already expressed some ideas and some, some examples as I've gone through the four. But, you know, if you're uh, at a symbolic culture and you're, you're, you're preaching to the, the, the vision of the past, right, or the founder, but you try to preach in a political jungle, you'll be, you'll be sacrificed upon the altar at which you preach, you know, you have to be careful about what game you're playing in what context. It's not so much that it's right or wrong, any one of these. It's just knowing the environment you're in and playing the game according to the rules of that environment. That's the politics. And knowing your environment really comes down to understanding those models, which can be difficult if you're in a mixed supplier or mixed culture uh, environment. Which we are. Yeah. yeah. So the way you deal with the architect group yeah. will be very different than the way you deal with the Wintel guys and very different with the application development team on the website, very different with your supplier. You can't use a one management of change model for everybody. Right. You got to say, okay, what's this group? Who are the key stakeholders? What's their frame of reference relative to this model? And how do I get through to them and you know basically make friends and influence people the most successful way, knowing the context in which I'm playing? Wow. As a manager or someone who is an agent for change within an organization, if if the measure of success for a change program is is the uh, successful transformation of culture and not the actual change itself, 
that kind of really changes the way I think about a lot of the conversations we've had. In fact, um, let me refine that statement a bit. Yeah, I, I'm good at throwing it out dirty. <laughs> and, and you can just make it, Troy it, Troy it up for me. Because culture is so complex, so convoluted, and so made up of different elements, some of which we have no control over, like human nature, right? And individual personality. It's better and more practical to target behavioral change. I can get you to change behavior, but you will only change culture in the long term and only if what I told you was you know, a good thing actually comes true. So culture is not or should not be a target for change. It's behavior change, which we hope eventually with the right things in place will eventually impact culture. Wow. Wow. That's a bit freeing if you think about it. It's a lot less of a, of a task to try to change behavior. I can, I can incense your, your behavior real quick. Culture, not so much. And you, know, and you said to me um, that it's a series of minor, I don't want to say adjustments, but a, a series of minor wins to this culture uh, journey. Uh, it's not like something you don't implement culture. No. And, you know, I think it's, it might be, it's, it's less daunting for me to think about culture is a series of little tweaks that help, you know, those different groups that you talked about start to adapt to this change. Like there's a process and, and you, there's a beginning and end to it, basically, as far as a, a set of behavioral change tasks. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a process, but it's also a process that has an ongoing aspect. So, you know, we, if you've heard about John Cotter, Professor Cotter, he has an eight-step model he walks through. And I won't walk through the whole model here. Uh, but he has definitely, you start with setting, setting up a sense of urgency. Uh, and then at the end, you're institutionalizing those changes by making them permanent, by adjusting people's you know, performance measures, et cetera. So there's this whole you know, step-by-step thing you must kind of go through. And if you miss any of the steps, then you're probably going to be you know, up the creek without a paddle. But I like thinking of change and behavior change and eventually cultural change in respect to the Kubler-Ross model of, of the stages yeah. of grief. And I, I find that fascinating. It's uh, it's interesting. Do you mind if I kind of give you an, uh, an analogy or a story here? No, I mean, I think a lot of people have gone through loss in their lives. And I remember the first time I was introduced to that, uh, the Kubler-Ross uh, model uh, and the stages of grief. Uh, it just kind of dawned on me, wow, that's, that's a lot like what I deal with even when it's not traumatic loss. It's just change. Change, that's right. You know, it's just like, so maybe change is a loss of norm. I, I don't know, but go ahead with your analogy. So, you know, you... You start off your project, right? Right. And uh, you're, you're having your big kickoff and you're, you're all hands meeting or your lunch and learn and the senior person stands up and says, I have a vision, right? <laughs> and, right. And everyone's kind of looking at each other. Yeah, here we go again, right? So they're in denial. This won't happen. <laughs> you know, it's just the, the most recent set of acronyms that senior leadership has, you know, picked up on. Won't get too concerned. Not going to be, you know, lose any sleep over this. Uh, so I'll smile, put my hand up and, you know, salute and give you all the right symbols that I'm, I'm following. And I agree. Uh, but I really inside I'm, I'm denying it's ever going to happen. Right. We've seen it come. We've seen it go. Right. But at some point, if you actually keep going with this, you actually convince people that they're actually going to have to change something. And they go, wait a minute. I know I said I, I agreed at that last meeting. And I know uh, and the pizza was good. Thank you very much. But I didn't really agree. What I meant to say was I'll go this far, but not to this point, and that's where we enter negotiation, right? So there's a there's this, I I know I said yes, but now things are different. And I'll say, I'll do this, but I won't go as far as that. So you get into this negotiation component. But then they finally realize, 
hey, this is not going away. This is still moving ahead. This is really going to change my life. I'm not happy. Don't ask me to like it. I don't like it. You know, and so this is where we're at the dip and they're, they're com- completely despondent. Then eventually, three, four weeks, six months out, you know, they're not getting paged in the middle of the night. They're not getting, um, you know, called for overtime and they're starting to see, well, you know, okay, there might've been something to this. And then finally, you know, they're saying, you know, that ITSM thing, best thing I ever thought of. <laughs> so they've actually, you know, taken ownership of it. But that whole curve might take anywhere from what, in your experience, Chris? How much how much time do you think it would take to go through that? Huh. I'm still going through it with things from 20 years ago. So right. that's hard for me to say. Sometimes I go through it really quick. Yeah, well, on average, I'd say it's a good six months minimum. Yeah. Maybe a year, two years. And if you've got multiple process projects going on, you're recurving through it all the time. So this this whole cultural thing you know, is is indicative, as you pointed out, to just change. So you almost really need to build into your your project planning. That you know these culture touch points or culture milestones or or culture check ins to make sure that again, you know, if I'm operating from a, a point of view where you know success a successful change program is a shift in culture, mm-hmm. then those checkpoints and and those measures for success again, I, I keep going back to that. Those are radically different than something else I thought of. Well, you know what? I think what you can do is be predictive of the fact that they're going to occur. So don't act surprised that people are angry and depressed and don't think this new thing you thought up of is the best thing since sliced bread. They're going to, there's going to be a time where you're not popular and you're going to have to push through that time, right? And, and just, you know, from the point of view of just the communication awareness and you know, think about it this way. We, have, we, we usually fund some kind of communication awareness plan, right? But usually we roll out the dogs and ponies and elephants at the beginning and we do the big parade at the beginning kickoff of the project. Well, there's a lot of uh, energy at that point. Most people don't think it's going to affect them anyway, so they're not really needing the pep talk. But if you know there's going to be this kind of dip or depression period, why not focus the, you know, the available funding and energy you have at that point? You know, impact it where it's, it's necessary. So you predict it based on that. You know there's going to be anger. You know there's going to be negotiations. So plan for it. Invite conversation. Invite dissension and hear them out. Uh, there's tools. Uh, there's De Bono's, you know, five hats. There's an exercise I like to do with clients called <laughs> Mountains, Molehills, and Dead Buffaloes. <laughs> I think that's very practical. Uh, in fact, I've got an article in the blog about that very exercise. And that's an interesting one if you want to hear about it. Yes, please. I'm still kind of on the dead buffalo thing. (laughs) Dead buffalo. So what you do is you know not everybody's going to agree. You know you're going to hit this anger negotiation phase. So you put the team in the room and say, okay, let's not pretend we all agree that this is the best thing you've ever heard of. I know that you all have your challenges. Let's not, you know, ignore them. Let's deal with them. So you you draw up on the the board this, you know, two-by-two grid, your typical consulting grid, and uh, the grid is kind of broken into these four quadrants. So you have, let's imagine the four, uh, two by two grid. And on the left side, you have the fact column. Okay. On the right side, you have the opinion column. Right. So it's not, you know, how do we define opinion? We'll just say for the moment, not everybody in the room, room agrees that this is true. Right. And then on the upper side, you have a high potential impact to this project's objective. And at the bottom end, you have the low. So you have these four grids now. Top left corner is fact and high. Bottom right corner, opinion and low. Okay, you got that picture? Yep. Now, you basically get them to spill their beans. Basically, what do you think is, you know, 
going to go wrong? What do you think, you know, never happen because? Well, never be happen because we're involved in three other projects and we have no time, right? They're being asked to be, to do this on the side of their desk without any resources. Well, does everyone, everyone agree? Okay, that's an agreed, agreed position. We're going to categorize that as a, a risk at the fact and high level. And you go through this whole mindset. You know, some people will say it's high, but there's disagreement. So you put that over on the high opinion. Then you've got things which are true, like this is going to happen at Christmas time. But, you know, Christmas time always happens. So we'll put that down at fact and low. We'll just have to manage through that calendar year piece. And then some things which are, you know, red herring, someone's going to throw on the table, but no one agrees. And it's an opinion low. So basically you classify all this stuff. So how does mountains, molehills, dead buffaloes fit in? Well, the mountains are those real things that you need to talk about and get into your charter as risk that your steering committee has to deal with to address how this is going to be successful. Yep. The molehills obviously are, you know, they're there, but we probably could, you know, ride our bike over them without, you know, having a major accident. Uh, and then the dead buffalo. The dead buffalo is that thing or maybe the person that everyone knows is a constraint to this project, but no one dares talk about. It's it's on the table, it smells, it's it's rank, and it's not pretty, but no one dares mention it's in the room. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Because sometimes the person, that person who's a dead buffalo might be in the room. And uh, that's a challenge. You have to get those out. You have to call them out, and you have to get them on paper. So you, you deal with all of these potential risks. Fact and high goes into your charter. Fact and low goes into your risk model, but you're, you know, you're managing because the exposure right now is not too high. You just keep watching to make sure those don't change. Opinion high, you have an action item. The person who brought it up must come back with proof in the next meeting to say, how do we transfer this thing into one of the other three categories? And then opinion low, well, let's face it, if it's opinion and it's low, it's there's not enough time in the day Let's just forget that whole category. <laughs> I'm always in that last section. <laughs> yeah, you deal with all the stuff. You just don't kind of say, okay, now you've all had your whining session. I'll, I feel, hope you feel better about that. You have a plan for everything that's in, in this model. And it helps you deal with the, the change issue around that Kubler-Ross anger negotiation phase. Right. You know, between loss, Kubler-Ross, Deb Buffalo, uh, the tribes, the different leadership styles, I... Culture is much more than a uh, one-episode uh, conversation. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to cover some of this during our practitioner radio live at Pink Twelve. Um, maybe yes. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah, <laughs> get some get some crowd feedback. Um, Troy, um, it would be culturally incorrect for me not to tell you that it's time for Troy Centerbolt Tip of the Day. Remember, Chris, that culture and behavior are two different things. Behavior can be adjusted in the short term, though culture needs longer term. And, uh, you know, the focus should be on behavior change as a management of change strategy. And if you're lucky and if you're successful, culture will change having put the things in place needed to make those changes occur. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for all of you listeners. Thank you, Troy. This has been uh, Practitioner Radio, episode 21. We're all grown up. Pink Elephants podcast for the ITSM community. Troy, I will see you in two weeks. In Vegas, baby. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.